42, Beyond a Joke, original air date, 21st of February, 1997. Hello and welcome to Scott 42. This week I'm joined by Anthony. Hello. We'll be reviewing the episode Beyond a Joke after a quick synopsis read by Anthony. Crichton finds a lobster scuttling around the cargo hold and cooks an elaborate feast for the crew, as it is the anniversary of when he was rescued from the Nova 5. The rest of the crew, however, have prepared to enter a virtual reality world of Jane Austen, where Kachansky hopes to teach them a little culture. Crichton is extremely upset that they left without touching his feast and enters the virtual reality world, blowing up the characters of the game with a tank and ordering the crew to supper. Crichton seems to calm down as they tuck into the lobster, but Lister asks for a little ketchup to pep it up, and Crichton literally blows his top. They replace his head, but the rage still flows through him, and they eventually run out of spare heads. They go aboard a derelict ship and find some heads, but they don't have the primers installed. The crew realise that it is a simulant ship, and hightail it. But they cannot leave without the heads, so they dress up as Gelfs and make a deal with the simulant captain. They get the heads, but when they return to Starbug, it has been looted and Crichton is gone. The simulant brings Crichton's body aboard his ship and tells another Series 4000 mechanoid, Abel, to repair him. Kachansky devises a plan to make the simulants think that they have planted a bomb on board their ship, and it works. The simulant, along with his Gelf partner, Abel and Crichton, beams aboard Starbug and demands to know where the bomb is. They refuse, and the simulant tells Crichton the code to a sealed file in his memory about his creator. Abel helps the crew escape, and they enter an asteroid belt for cover. Crichton tells Lister that his creator was supposed to be married to another scientist, but he left her at the altar. She then created a mechanoid in his image, an ugly, annoying, pompous android. The 4000 series. Lister consoles him by saying that he is different now, that when he was first created... The simulant ship finds them because of Abel's stupidity, and Crichton scolds him. Abel heads out in a pod and destroys the simulant ship, sacrificing himself in the process. Thank you very much, Anthony. Just before we get on with the episode review, you've just got a a few things to say. Yeah, just a couple of lines. Um, This episode is actually written by uh, our very own Crichton, uh, Robert Llewellyn, uh, along with Doug Naylor. Uh, now, originally, Robert, he wanted to try and write himself out of the episode to avoid the excruciating makeup ordeal um, that he hated so much. Um, that's why early on in the episode, we get Crichton's head literally blowing up. Um, he could have Crichton in the episode, but not actually have to be there. Yeah. Uh, now, according to the commentary, it was about 35 drafts of many changes before it eventually uh, evolved to... Uh, Robert playing two mechanoids and having to endure even more makeup than (laughs) usual. (laughs) So, yeah, not a good plan for him. Unlucky. (laughs) The first scene starts, and as mentioned in the synopsis, Crichton's created a very posh lobster dinner. He's celebrating that it's five years on from his rescue day from when he was rescued from the Nova 5. Well, this um, this seems to support the theory that each season represents a year in the crew's lives. Yes, yeah, agreed. Because obviously yeah. it was Series 2 when they found him. We're now on Series 7. Yeah. And it's I don't know if they've ever come out right and said it, but um, I know most people seem to support the theory that, you know, one year 
one season represents one year. This this is definitely supported with it being his five year anniversary of his rescue. Yeah, I mean we've assumed it all the way along. So the rest of the crew plan on going in the AR suite uh, as they found the Hollow Program, a uh, Jane Austen world um, on the SSS Century. Is it? Yeah, is it Century? I I assumed it was Century with the C. Right. Okay. Um, um, I I quickly break down with a hangover so <laughs> no, no, worries. no worries after you wrote it i thought hang on have i got it wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so yeah they're going to go off to jane austen world um Crichton wants them to have the lobster first now me personally i'd have um sat down had the lobster then gone but they didn't seem to want to do that no the <laughs> they didn't seem they didn't seem uh, keen on it, did they? No. Um, I mean, I, I got to laugh here with uh, Kachansky. Um, she makes a joke here about um, Jane Austen's association with Bath, you know, the city, and yeah. um, Lister's need of uh, Bath. And it, it really, it's not a funny gag at all. No, not, in the not least. at all. No. Right. But on the second viewing of this episode, I thought, you know, if Chris Barry had have said that line, <laughs> and, you know, in his deliveries, yeah. and I'm sorry to keep harping on about how much we're missing Chris Barry, right? He would have made that line funny. He would have made it work. Yeah, um, yeah. And it just, it, I mean, they make a gag about it uh, deliberately making the bad joke, but no, I think it's just nobody, you know, can say a line like Chris Barry does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the next scene starts, and they're in the Pride and Prejudice world. Kachansky takes out this controller thing from her purse and she brings into life Mrs. Bennett and the five daughters. They want them to join them for a, a little walk around and then tea in the gazebo. The next scene starts and Crichton's very annoyed. He basically wants them to have have the meal, so he's gone in there and he's like stealthing about and he's taking out all his sisters with um, like blow darts and <laughs> traps and everything. Very dick dastardly the way he's yeah. up behind him and yeah p- p- uh, picking them off one by one yeah whilst the, the the bit where they get to the gazebo and they're actually sat down eating yeah um danny actually loses one of the cat's teeth whilst eating the grapes <laughs> okay. uh, they had to halt production and frantically search for it because they got no spares and right. uh, from from what i've read online it looks like it took them a while to actually find it oh no hmm Crying goes in and he takes a, a T-72 tank from the World War II game and he blows up the gazebo and with the line of... Dinner is served. <laughs> yeah, dinner is served. Now, surely if they just switched off the AR suite, then they'd all have to go and have the food anyway, wouldn't they? Instead of going through all the effort of going in there with a tank. And <laughs> blow darts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this T-72, he's got the T-72 tank. Yeah. Uh, which came from the World War II game. Yeah. Um, now the T seventy two didn't come into service until nineteen seventy three. Ah. You can tell somebody's been online that's really pedantic. Here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, unless it was uh, some sort of special unlockable from this World War Two yeah. game, it's like um, DLC. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's a slight inaccuracy here. Yeah. Um, now this actual tank itself, um, it was used in Goldeneye in the James Bond movie. Okay. Um, it's the actual same tank. Um, oh, okay. And yeah, they were on about it on the commentary as well. And they said that they was waiting for it nearly all day. It got stuck in traffic on the M25 whilst being transported to the shoot. Right. And they ended up filming a load of other scenes whilst waiting for its arrival. Right. Okay. And uh, something else of interest as well. They, they mention it. I 
I think most of the site, I think Wikipedia mentions it and IMDb, um, it also gets mentioned on the commentary. Uh, the explosion, it was that large that it got a lot of complaints from all the local residents. Right. Uh, one bloke came out and claimed it shook the pictures off his wall. Uh, <laughs> Danny says he was giving an interview at the time in his caravan and he says literally the whole caravan shook. You know, everyone's like, what the hell was that? <laughs> and yeah, it was a case of getting carried away with the explosives when they blew this gazebo up. It was a good explosion though. Oh, it was a good one, definitely. <laughs> The next scene starts and they're sat there eating the food. Basically, they've they've left the game and they're back eating the lobster lunch and they're, and they're sat around like naughty school kids that have just been told off by the parents, you know, just like very timidly eating the food. List asks for some ketchup to um, pep up his lunch and Crichton obviously absolutely blows his top and that's exactly where he does. His head explodes. <laughs> One that makes the kids laugh, this. Always always makes the kids laugh. Yeah. The next scene starts, Lister's putting him back together. But just as he switches him on, he says, Ketchup! <laughs> and his head just bangs again. Well, you know, in the past, yeah. right, we've always seen Crichton's heads as... Uh, separate personalities almost. Yeah. They're almost like uh, uh, separate people altogether. Yeah, like Spares, uh, the, Threes, Yorkshire. Yeah, they've got different memories. The main head basically going through and filling the others in on the events that have you know transpired yeah. since last they spoke. Now, this seems to totally go against it. They put a new head on it, and by rights, it should be one of his spearheads, whether it's you know one of them that's spearhead number two or whether it's the old one with droid rot. It's... Um, yeah. Yeah, we don't get that. You know, they put this new head on and all memories are there and his personalities there and basically blows his top because, you know, that's obviously how he reacts to the... <laughs> he's had enough, basically. He's, he's had it up to there. Yeah. Um, something else I noticed as well. Uh, if you can remember in Ticket to Ride... Okay. Um, Craig Chart... Well, uh, Lister, when he was removing and replacing Crichton's head... Yeah. It took about three turns. Yeah rotating it right round. This one, it seems to be like a locking mechanism. It's just a quarter turn and it's locked in position and that's it. Uh, well, Lister may have upgraded it while he was uh, fixing his head. <laughs> it uh, just seems weird that it's in the same series as well, though. Yeah. Uh, you know what you were just mentioning? I'm sure there was something mentioned by Lister that we've managed to save his memory chip or managed to save his memory bank. So maybe the heads are different, but, um, you know, like later on they go looking for the primers, maybe there yeah. is a memory chip in there as well. Yeah, you, you're probably right, because I know um, it goes missing as well, doesn't it, with his body later, with Crichton's body. That's right, on. yeah, yeah. So anyway, they've run out of spare heads, even though we know that spare... Well, I suppose the spares are on Red Dwarf, aren't they? Um, so they need to go and find a replacement. The next scene starts, and they find a simulant ship, and it's got spare heads in it. Well, it's this is the SS Centuri, isn't it? Yeah. Right, now they've, um, I'm sure they say they've uh, previously raided this uh, well, ship. Well, that's what this I is, thought, yeah. This is the one where the lobster came from. Yeah. And it appears that, A, they must have left some valuable stuff on there. There just happened to be some 3,000 mechanoid heads on the shelf. Yeah. Right, so why didn't they take them at the time? Yeah. Um, but also, it, for them to have previously raided it, there doesn't appear to have been simulants on board before now. Right, um, correct. And the only way he spots that there's simulants on board is when he he sees the cup on the this pair of cups on the side, and straight away he concludes simulants. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it 
just struck me as a bit weird if they'd have said it was a, a new ship, a new derelict, you know, that they'd come across, happened across. That I would have bought that a bit more. I think. Well, yeah, I mean, um, all they needed to do was just give it a different name to the one that they mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, something else as well. Uh, Kachansky has uh, got a uniform change. Okay. And she's on this away mission. Yeah. And it looks a hell of a lot like some of Rimmer's old uniforms. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, that's the, f- the first thing that crossed my mind there. Yeah. And um, I think my favourite word for this uh, episode is going to be pedantic because I know I've got to mention it later on and I've certainly got to mention it here. Okay. Um, she cracks a joke about, uh, they're on about um, simulants disliking humans, anything with you in it, they hate yeah. humanoids and uh what have you she cracks a joke about well they'll dislike the third biggest city in vietnam then hugh actually it's pronounced hua well like i say this pedantic online criticism that i've found um points out that even when she pronounces it hua it's wrong it should be hue right okay <laughs> and and it isn't the third biggest city in vietnam it's the fifth biggest city <laughs> oh well things might have changed in 10 years so <laughs> it I don't know. It's I, one of those. I, yeah. I was scratching around for research on this one, and I thought I'm going to mention it and point out that it's not <laughs> me. This is others online that have pointed this out. <laughs> anyway, they decide that they need these primers, and the only way they can get them is off the simulant. So they're they're just assuming that. So they decide to disguise themselves as Gelf, and they basically take Lister along on like a leash to um, trade him for them. Well, these outfits they seem to make them really quickly. Yeah. And they are, they really are quite good, actually. It's almost as if they got them at hand. Yeah. <laughs> now, now the commentary does say that these costumes were used in the uh, earlier episodes when they've uh, featured the Kinitawawi. Okay. Um, now, I can't recall ever seeing the pierced nipples before, but I'm no doubt they were there. It's just I wasn't looking then. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> the next scene starts, and they're back on Starbug. While they were across on the ship, basically the Starbug had been ransacked, um, everything had been nicked, and the Dolstick and Crichton as well, and his memory chip. Yeah, the simulants got a uh, Gelf accomplice, and yeah. whilst they were busy trying to trade, he's um, ransacked the Starbug. Um, I'd not mentioned as well, actually, the simulant we've got, yeah. he's played by the great actor Don Henderson. Okay. And this is actually one of his final acting roles, um, if not the actual last one. Uh, I saw a couple of conflicting things on the internet. One saying this was the final one. One said that there was a couple of other roles after this. Okay. Um, now, he died of throat cancer not long after this episode was aired. Oh, okay. And that's why he's got such a raspy voice in this accident. In this accident? <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> that's why he's got such a raspy voice in this episode. Right. <laughs> that's a matter of opinion whether it's an accident or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a result of his uh, throat cancer. Right, and okay. um, if anybody is struggling to remember him, he's, he's, he is one of the British greats. Uh, loads and loads of TV show, shows that he was in. Uh, he appeared in uh, the movie Brazil, uh, Baron Munchausen. He played General Taji in Star Wars. Um, he was in the 1987 Doctor Who story, Delta and the Bannerman. He played uh, Gavrick in that. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, quite, quite an established actor. He's one that certainly people our sort of age will remember right through childhood, you know, yeah, as yeah. always having appeared on TV. Cool. 
The next scene starts, and there is another 4000 series mechanoid on board. Exactly the same as Crichton, apart from he's green, and he's called Abel. The personality they've got for him, the voice he puts on for him, it reminds me of the um, Spearhead 3 with the droid role. Um, Like a slightly younger version of um, Spearhead 3 with the uh, (laughs) droid rot. And I mean, we get an answer to why he is this way. Why You know, it's not actually droid rot, but... um, yeah, it it was. I found it funny, especially the way he used he hunched over and struggling to remember, yeah, you know his name and things like that. Well, yeah, when he was asked his name, he says, "Hang on, hang on, <laughs> I've just sent that down," <laughs> and then he had to wait for the for the response. So he wasn't exactly yeah. the brightest bunny. But that's because he's um, he's addicted to Otrazone, which I can only assume is is some um, android drug, I guess. He's asked um, by the simulant to get Crichton fixed up so he's good for market, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to going to sell him. The next scene starts, and the Centuri ship shoots off. So Kachansky comes up with a plan to basically spin it round and head full whack in the other direction. That way, they'd think that they'd left something on the ship that they wanted to get away from, and they would spin round and chase them, and it works. They do turn around follow them and they beam onto the cargo bay does it make sense to you that the simulant would initially run away the way it does no they they give chase and you would expect a simulant that hates all humans and humanoids to literally just open fire on him and destroy him yeah yeah um, but it doesn't it accelerates away far quicker than what starbuck can actually catch him um but i must admit i do like the way uh kachansky says well you know, let's turn and run. He says, well, what would you do that for? The only reason we'd do that is if we planted a bomb on board and just totally befuddles Cat. Yeah. He yeah. just <laughs> he cannot work out, have we planted a bomb on board? And <laughs> yeah. when he, just, he just can't figure it out at all. And that I do like. Um, yeah. Because when they're beamed on board and, and he says, right, where's the bomb? He says, oh, so we did plant a bomb. <laughs> yeah. He just doesn't get it. <laughs> yeah. It, to be honest, it's quite clever writing. Uh, this is one of the few bits that I did like of the episode. I, I did think it was quite clever. The next scene starts, and as mentioned before, they want to know where the bomb is, and they're holding Crichton to ransom. The simulant gives Crichton the access code to a file that has been unable to access, and it's about his creator, Professor Mammoth. As Crichton's accessing it, he, he, well, he kind of goes into, I don't know, almost like a, a sulk. Um, at this point, Abel takes off his head and throws it at the Gelf, then throws it at the simulant and knocks them out and then Lister comes in and um, he knocks them out as well. Lister transports them back and being the Red Dwarf crew, they leg it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is what makes me laugh. Lister does like, a, he turns all Bruce Lee on his. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, like a know, sweeping... A single kick that knocks out both the Simulant and the Gelf all in one single arced kick. Yeah. Um, and also the, the device... Um, now, if I remember rightly, this is the device the simulants bring on board that ends up in Lister's hands. That's right, yeah. And it's literally a point a point and teleport. Yeah. So he points it at them and teleports them back onto um, the Centauri. Yeah. Um, now, first question is, I don't think we ever see this again, the ability to point and teleport something away. No. Uh, you know, they've got their own matter transport, of which they have, obviously have to hold on to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a shame we never see this device again. Second question, why did he teleport them onto their ship? Why, just, why did he just aim it for deeper space? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I'm going to teleport you onto this superior ship so you can then chase us down and destroy us, or I could have put you out into space where you were no threat. 
Yeah, well, I, I guess it's listed just being human. I'm not want to kill somebody, I guess. I suppose it's never that, that before did it with the uh, okay. previous simulants. Yeah, true. <laughs> the next scene starts, and they're back in the bunk room. Crichton's basically sat on the bed and is is explaining to Lister why he's so upset and what was in that file. You find out that um, Professor Mamet's ex, uh, John Warburton, he actually stood her up at the altar. Makes good bread, though. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking that one of her. Oh, Warburton. <laughs> Um, so what he did, he made the, or I should say she made the 4000 series in his image. And uh, uh, just as a, a reminder of, or an arseist, to be honest. Yeah, well, she's made him a deliberate, um, she's made the 4000 series a deliberate uh, turkey object of ridicule. Yeah, yeah. You know, in honour of this guy that stood her up at the altar. All I can say is if his physical looks are based on her, she might be better off. You know, he must have been a real funny looking <laughs> fella. <laughs> you know, just imagine the kids. <laughs> Crichton's also got his nega drive, which is where all his negative emotions go. Now, I was thinking, surely with all throughout this series maybe that that's what's happened maybe he's been glitchy or something and that's why he's been such a whingy little thing all this series I think it's just poor writing <laughs> I'll put writing <laughs> yeah <laughs> the next scene starts and the simulants have tracked them down so they've headed to an asteroid field to go and hide so they're sat in there and um, we're basically sat there playing cards and just keeping quiet waiting for them to well, bugger off really well this is it's very obvious CGI asteroids. Yeah. Um, I actually quite liked it. I thought it looked quite good. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not quite uh, Empire Strikes Back quality, but it was very, um, very Red Dwarf, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I quite like the uh, the effect of these asteroids spinning out of control. Um, it, it, it looked more threatening, the asteroid field itself, yeah. than the one in, say, Empire Strikes Back, where they all seem to be fairly stationary and easy to fly around, even though C-3PO was insisting that the, the odds of successfully navigating an asteroid field were God knows how many to one. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Abel sneaks off to the cockpit to go and have his fix of order zone, and he, well, I don't know, he kind of puts the ship into... Well, it's as if they're on silent running, isn't it? Yeah. And then he takes his hit and just leans on the steering wheel, which fires up the boosters, the retros, and um, they're alerted. It alerts them to the position, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And then they send through a, a well, couple of blasts and really give them a kick in, to be honest. Yeah. The next scene starts, and Crichton's basically giving um, Abel a, a really hard time, which... To be honest, he, he's just <laughs> he's just giving away their position. So Abel then leaves in an escape pod and aims himself at the simulant ship. He f- he somehow rooted the nega drive at the ship, causing the ship to blow up and forcing the pod to crash land. Well, you you call it an escape pod, but the official site still calls these or sample pods right, strictly okay. <laughs> not for human transportation. Right, fits, fits two persons inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The final scene starts, and they're back in Pride and Prejudice land. Crichton's been messing with the program, and he's made the Vindaloo far, far too hot. I mean, the 
Mrs. Bennett and the five daughters, they're eating the vindaloo and they're thinking it's fine. Um, right up until the point where Lister and the calves are, man, it really blows the brains out. Well, they tuck in and it's just a, it's like a sensory overload on the tongue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this actual physical flames come out of Lister's mouth. Yeah. Uh, now this, uh, I know you're, you're not a fan of the Jane Austen um, artificial reality. Yeah. I personally, I think uh, Mrs. Bennett is one of the funniest thing in the in this whole episode. Okay. Uh, earlier on and at this point and what have you, uh, played by Vicky Ogden. Um, she's been in quite a few TV shows from Juliet Bravo to Coronation Street to Casualty. Uh, I'm quite surprised that none of the other Bennett daughters seem to have actually done much. There's very little on the IMDb against uh, any of them. Okay. Um, but I don't know about you, I'm really glad that they finished this episode on this curry scene. Because uh, yeah. you've got the scene before, which finishes with the gag, uh, Crichton carrying Abel, and Lister asks him if he wants hand, and he says, no, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. Yeah, and yeah. it's such a dreadful line. Even on the commentary, Robert Llewellyn says, all that just to build up for this one like, gag. He says, and it's not even funny. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I would, I would agree this episode wasn't that funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that it finished with this. I was able to finish the episode with a laugh, uh, with a smile on my face rather than a groan. Well, let's get on to the scores. Me personally, I give this a 6 out of 10. I didn't like the Pride and Prejudice Land, as we've just mentioned. However, I did think, unlike some episodes that just really drag because they're, they're slow and nothing's happening, there was a lot that happened in the 30 minutes that this ran for. So that's why I've upped the score slightly. Um, it did give us a little bit more backstory on Crichton and the um, and about his creator. So yeah, 6 out of 10 for me. Anthony? Um, I've gone for a 5 out of 10. I didn't really enjoy it and it was a it was a it was hard work having to watch it more than once. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's a very heavy on plot, very light on gags. Right, um, okay. Uh, I would have said that in in the past, in previous previous series, if they'd have done this storyline, um, the anniversary story linked in with the Jane Austen world, right, would have been a whole episode. Yeah, absolutely agreed. full of gags. Yeah, right. Likewise, the simulant with the missing head storyline and Abel storyline that would have been a separate episode. Yeah, there's agreed. just too much crammed in, and there's just not enough time to make it funny yeah okay. and yeah it made it a drag to watch and i really really wasn't impressed not with robert llewellyn's writing of red dwarf not impressed at all cool right well that's six from me five from you and on the forum we've got a five seven seven and nine that gives us 65 percent. so not too bad i think that nine's really brought it up to be honest yeah Next section is what's going down in Groovestown after a quick advertisement from Creeping with Armstrong podcast. One second. Is it just a trailer for anyone? Um, this is a trailer for everyone. Anyone. For the universe? Yeah. So this is... This, yep, yeah, just do a trailer. Go on, over to you, James. Trailer now. Trailer. First, there was silence. Then, there was light. Then, there was something going on the periodic table. Finally, there was man. Wasn't the first time there was a big noise before there was silence? 
Don't interrupt me in my dramatic opening. Anyway, finally, there was Ross, and then there was James. No, you're older than me. Don't interrupt me during my biographical rundown. And then there was Creeping with Armstrong, which is our podcast. Listening to us roughly once a month, it is I, James. And me, Ross, who interrupts James when he's trying to um, have his big ego moment. That's pretty much the uh, the scale of it. We talk about anything and everything. Things have been going on in our lives, but most more than likely things which are geeky-based. Be it television, be it film, be it books, be it comics, be it music. Whatever we're in the mood to talk about. It's free, it's monthly, and we guarantee you total satisfaction. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> So you can, you can pick that up on iTunes, just search for Creep of Armstrong, look on the interweb, or, or internet, or the internet, uk, or follow us on Twitter, it's Revolting Ross, or Randall77. Okay. See you soon. See you soon. Or hear you soon. Yeah. No, you hear us soon. That's the one. Yeah. All right, dudes. What's going down in Groove Town, then? Groove Town. Um, first of all, over to you, Anthony. Yeah, my uh, Google alerts, it came up um, the other day with a uh, another review of Red Dwarf on a podcast. Okay. Um, now, this time it was the Earth Station One podcast. Okay. Um, now, if you want to listen to it, it is episode 28 yeah. of Earth Station One. And it starts if you if you want to, if you're not interested in listening to the start of it if you just want to listen to the Red Dwarf section it's about one hour three minutes into the episode that they start looking at um, series three I think it was of Red Dwarf. Okay. Now a lot of what was said in this review really really got my back up. Right. Um, they they said that uh, Craig Charles was in EastEnders. Uh, I think it was EastEnders. He says that it's in. Um, they said that Series 9 didn't get made because Craig was involved in an O.J. Simpson situation. Uh, then they went and criticised Rimmer's acting in Series 1 and 2, saying how much better he is in 3. And it, it did it did get my back up, and I decided um, to write in to point out their errors. Right, um, okay. Normally I wouldn't do that, but I did. I posted it onto their website. And I received a really, really nice email back from them explaining how the mistakes had happened. And that basically they've got some basic notes. Um, They're not a specialized Red Dwarf podcast. They've got some basic notes. One of the guys is watching it for the first time because the others have recommended it to them. And, um, yeah, it's just a general chinwag. And so obviously you can't have notes on everything. And it, it made me feel really guilty. They must have caught me in a bad mood or something and it's made me realize this is where i'm going to come up with the word pedantic again okay Uh, it's made me realize that in this last year or so i have become really pedantic when it comes to red dwarf yeah right now when we started scuttercast um we didn't have any detailed knowledge we were fans we enjoyed the show we'd watched them lots of times yeah and the first couple of episodes our research was basically let's watch the episode so it's fresh in our minds and that was it yeah yeah and we got a hell of a lot of stick about it online yeah yeah all right we received a lot of criticism and um yeah it's uh I've gone and done it to somebody else, <laughs> given them criticism for me having a greater knowledge, and um, I feel quite guilty about it. Um, yeah. It is worth a listen. It is people that uh, love the show. Uh, episode 28, um, 
Earth Station One podcast, one hour, three minutes into the episode. Um, give it a listen. If it gets you back up, don't worry about it. Honestly, the, it's not a deliberate mistake from them, and I've I have pointed it out to them. Um, I keep actually meaning to write back to this email that they'd sent to me. You know, yeah, yeah. apologising for me be although i did try and word it politely i probably came across as a bit of an arse and i've just you know been busy this weekend not gotten around to it yeah yeah. (laughs) but i thought i'd mention it you might want to listen to it well to be honest i mean there'll have been our first say six episodes we were pretty bad and there were there were key things that we just didn't know and well, I I hate at the time we got a lot of stick, hell of a lot of stick. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I arrogantly, you know, and thought that I was right. I was happy to have a podcast out, and the fact that nobody else was as happy as I was, yeah, I yeah. took that offensively. Yeah. Uh, now I've looked back over the, um, I've looked back over the Ganymede and Titan thread about it, and looked at what I'd written in response to what some of those guys had written over there, and. I was bang out of order. <laughs> I yeah. cringe now when I look at what I wrote at the time. I think, oh, geez. Yeah, um, yeah. Luckily, water under the bridge. We've moved on. We we now research the episodes. I think Ian was the first one to put any research time into <laughs> it. <laughs> so does the way. And uh, yeah, we've. I think I like to think we've got better since. I no doubt we still get things wrong, but we don't get the bashing that we used to. Yeah, and yeah, I feel exactly. guilty for giving uh, Earth Station One the bashing that I did. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna. I, I am going to write back to them and apologise. <laughs> Just, I had an email this morning from um, a gent over at the National Space Centre in it's Leicester, I think. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, apparently. 6th and 7th of November, they're having um, a Mover Mania event. And they've got a couple of Red Dwarf stars in there. There's uh, Chris Barry, there's Norman Lovett, uh, Chloe Annette, who are going to be doing some autographs. And also on Saturday, they're going to be joined by uh, Warwick Davis as well. Um, so if, you, if you're if local, pop in and have a look. As I said, it's on the 6th and 7th of November. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash National Space Centre. Or you can follow them on Twitter, which is at Space Centre, but that's uh, spelt the English way. Um, so R-E as opposed to E-R. Everything's for charity. It's for the Make-A-Wish Foundation and Medicinema. Yeah, he just dropped us a quick email, um, asked us if we wouldn't mind mentioning it. So uh, it's for charity. So yeah, definitely. Um, plus, if you want um, some autographs and you're in the Leicester, why not? Did he put any prices on that? No, but you can. If you go to... if you just have a look at that, because it literally Leicester's just down the road from here. Yeah. And uh, well, I'm just looking at where it says costume groups. Yeah. I'm just wondering how they'd feel about me turning up in my Stormtrooper outfit. <laughs> yeah, the only thing right. that puts me off is that it's the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yeah. And Make-A-Wish tend to... Um, they do a lot of work with the 501st, so I'm guessing there'll be a high turnout of Stormtroopers... Officially there as the 501st. They right, might frown okay. upon somebody turning up in their own outfit. Yeah, yeah. You can't come in dressed like that. Yeah. You'll, we'll think you're one of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll have, I'll have to look into that. That uh, sounds like it could be fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you just Google National Space Centre, it's actually on the page. If you look at the events, the upcoming events, everything's there. Because, I mean, when I got the email through, I, I always check to make sure it's just not um, like a a media company or just a load of rubbish to be honest uh, but yeah it was all there on the site 
my mate, the my fellow uh, stormtrooper friend, uh, yeah. uh, down the road, he actually went to a Star Wars convention here a couple of years ago at okay. the um, space center, okay. and he said it was really good. He really enjoyed it. So. Right, cool. There was quite an interesting tweet from Doug Nealis today when we record this. This is Monday. And it very simply says, meeting the commissioning bods on Thursday, heard they're not so much moving the goalposts as turning them into two giant catapults. Trust no one. <laughs> so what that means, I don't know. Um, I know he's been working on other projects and he's been filming other projects. Ah, um, well, sorry, there was, a, there was a tweet a little bit later where he'd found out the, you know, the thing that was announced, the commissioning of the Red Dwarf episodes. Yeah. He said he'd found out that, that document about those that, because he says it was signed in March 2009, I think he said. Right. So I think he's referring to Red Dwarf about this. So moving the goalposts as much as turning them into a giant catapult. Hmm, interesting. So I don't know if that means even more delay or... I, I, I don't know, I don't know. Um, I, I couldn't even say if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, yeah. <laughs> Either we're getting an extra two series or we're getting none at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, just the fact that it ends in trust no one, I, mm. that doesn't look like good news. But, I mean, anybody that follows Doug Naylor, it's Doug R.D. Naylor on Twitter. And no doubt, he, I mean, he's very, very vocal on Twitter, which I think is, hats off to him. He he says it as it is. Unlike, um, I think you've got people like Bobby Lou who just try and keep everything nice and quiet. <laughs> He's had his fingers burnt in the past with stuff he's put on Twitter, hasn't he? So yeah, he's yeah. very careful about what he types. Mind you, he doesn't even have to say anything. He gets the blame for it. Yeah. He, they had the, um, we had the announcement at last year's Dimension Jump about New Red Dwarf. And yeah. suddenly it's all over the internet that Robert Llewellyn has announced yeah. this. And it wasn't Robert Llewellyn at all. He, yeah. All he did, in fact, we told him, you know, the the attendees of the convention told him when he arrived. Is yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Parrot Spa, the place you can drink a curry-flavoured tequila slammer that burns on the way in and on the way out. Parrot Spa, first of all, over to you. Yeah, well, I raved about Wreck. Uh, the other week, how much I enjoyed the Spanish zombie horror movie Wreck. Yeah. Um, well, I've now actually gone about and watched Wreck 2. Okay. Um, very good. Really enjoyed it, but not a patch on the first. Okay. Um, I am, however, in two minds about what they did with the zombies in it. Uh, right. I'm not going to give away any spoilers. I'm going to be careful about, um, you know, what I say. Uh, but they changed the whole idea about what these zombies were uh, took them in a totally different direction um, it was original and I respect them for coming out with something new Yeah. Uh, but at the same time uh, I actually posted this on Facebook at the same time I'm a big fan of my fast moving flesh eating crazy zombies with no agenda Okay. Um, so yeah I'm, I'm sort of torn as to how much I liked it it was uh, not as good as the first one anyway um, but also they they did something original with the zombies, which I respect them for. Yeah. But I don't know if I might have just preferred it just as um, super fast zombies that enjoy eating flesh, and that was that. Okay. Um, I also watched 
uh, I'd, I'd had a warning about how bad this movie was, but I've been on a bit of a zombie kick just lately, and I thought, well, I've not seen this one. I've seen every other film in the series. I decided to watch uh, George Romero's Survival of the Dead, okay, which is the last one, uh, the latest one in the series. Yeah. Right now, I loved Night of the Living Dead. I love Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Um, I think they're fantastic and they're amazing and really set the bar, made the genre, as it were. Yeah. Um, Land of the Dead, I thought was okay. Okay. Right. All the movies seem to make a point about humanity from consumerism to elitism to, the, the, you know, they, they're always looking at something there. Okay. Right. Then I watched Diary of the Dead. Right. Ah. Now, this one was a disappointment except for one scene which made the film okay in my eyes okay uh, there's one scene that involves a swimming pool that i just loved i thought oh that is awesome and for me survival of the, uh, sorry um diary of the dead is okay to watch it's got a saving scene in it um apart from that it were a bit bit naff yeah now i watched survival of the dead and it is at absolute tosh right it is dreadful it's full of cgi blood and cgi severed heads right um, the special effects look about half as good as a sci-fi made for tv movie right um and yeah it's it's absolutely dreadful i don't know what point they're trying to make what he's having a dig at what part of humanity is having a dig at um it's just it really is just milking the cash cow. Uh, and in fact, I wrote it on, I wrote this on Facebook as well, is milk this cash cow until the udder fell off. Right. It's, okay. it's that bad. It is dreadful. And I've really, really lost any respect I had for George Romero because of it. It, it is dreadful. <laughs> so, oh, dear. Yeah. Um, it's worth seeing just to see how crap it is. You right. know, if you've seen all the others, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to see him and complete it. But yeah, it changed my opinion of the man. Right. Okay. Um, totally, totally different topic now. Uh, I actually, uh, I went away to Chester Zoo last week, booked the day off work uh, on Friday. And we went to Chester Zoo. Okay. Uh, which was nice. It's we. The only zoo really local to us is uh, Twycross, which is great if you like apes, if you like other animals, yeah, a couple of elephants and giraffes, and that's about it. Everything else is monkeys. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we decided to go to Chester Zoo for a bit, uh, just for a change, and stop over for the night up that way. Yeah. Zoo itself, fantastic day, um, what have you. It, just a good day with the family. Okay. Uh, we stopped over overnight. And we stopped at uh, Travel Lodge and we went across to a uh, Toby Carvery for oh, okay. tea. Yeah. Absolutely bloody dreadful. Really? <laughs> I oh, I'm never going to a Toby again. Yeah, they'd, um, the pri they'd dropped the price and it was because they'd got hardly any meat left. Right. Uh, now, at a Carvery, you expect a bit of meat. And if they tell you they've run out of one or two of them, there still should be some decent meat left. Yeah, yeah. There was gammon and there wasn't a lot of that. Okay. And there was chicken breast. Ah. So you're not talking whole chickens or turkeys that you would expect at a carvery. They've literally just raided the fridge and got a load of chicken breasts in the oven. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it were, it were dreadful. The food itself were absolutely cack. Oh, um, God. Yeah, kind of ruined the, you know, ruined the Friday for us. Yeah. Um, 
a Saturday we decided to go into Liverpool, go and do a bit of shopping and walk around the Albert Dock and yeah, uh, yeah. went to a couple of the museums there, the Maritime Museum and what have you. Okay. Uh, and it's a really, really nice city centre. They've obviously had some big money invested and it's all on different levels and you know, it's almost like a like a shopping centre, like a precinct, but yeah. outside, open to the elements. Um yeah, absolutely love the place. It made me realise, I'm sounding so negative here, it made me realise what a dump Nottingham actually is. <laughs> okay. right. Nottingham is one of these cities that deludes itself into thinking that it is a major tourist attraction uh, of the UK. You know, right. yeah. we've got Goose Fear and we've got Robin Hood and they seem to think that that makes them one of the big tourist attractions. The truth is Nottingham is an absolute dive, right? Um Goosefear is dreadful now. It was once one of Europe's biggest. It was once one of Europe's old. Well, it still is one of Europe's oldest. Yeah. Right. But it's just crap. It's it's too small. It's shrinking year by year. Yeah. Um, it's overpriced. Um, the council sets the prices for all the stalls. You can guarantee you, if you go on the Friday night, the prices have gone up a couple of quid from the Thursday night. Oh, they go wow. up again on the Saturday. Nobody seems to go around and check the prices. They're supposed to, but they don't. And they openly advertise, they openly up the prices. Uh, there's gangs of yobs hanging around. Public transport grinds to a halt. It is absolutely dreadful. Yeah. Uh, the city centre, it's an absolute dump. There's litter blowing about everywhere. There's no unique shops you know there's nothing it's it's like anywhere you walk down the street there's an hmv there's a mcdonald's there's a few greggs and uh, basically it's just you it's a, it could be any town could be yeah, any town yeah. you know and yeah it prides itself on being um, one of the biggest uh, tourist attraction cities of the uh, country it isn't it's an absolute dump and <laughs> Every, I mean, like I say, we've got Goose Fair going for us. Promote that. Invest some money into it. Gets, you know, get it going. Um, Robin Hood. They do absolutely no promotion for Robin Hood. All Robin Hood events take place out Mansfield Way. You know, oh, okay. outside of the yeah. Nottingham City Centre, yeah. um, up towards Sherwood Forest and what have you. Um, what we promote in the summer is Nottingham on Sea. Oh, We've done okay. this for years now. Nottingham isn't and never will be on the sea. Not no. for a bloody long time. <laughs> right? But no, every year they get the council house outside the council house and they'll dump a load of sand and string a load of deck chairs outside and what have you. And it's absolutely dreadful. You know, they should be having a medieval market and people dressed up as the sheriff and people dressed up as Robin Hood. They just, you know, they do that occasionally, but... No, not enough to make it a tourist attraction. And yeah, it was walking around Liverpool, which is rumoured to be a rough city. Mm. It's a lovely place, absolutely fantastic. And everywhere I go, I seem to see the same thing. When I go up to Leeds, when I go to Manchester, when I go to Sheffield, everything is better than what I, you know, where I'm living. Mm. And it, I'm pig sick of it, basically. <laughs> and raving about my own town but i absolutely hate it if anyone's from nottingham and they disagree with me and they think it's a lovely place they are wrong <laughs> <laughs> what's that word you're saying pedantic <laughs> yeah but i'm right <laughs> <laughs> me on the other hand i last thursday was my birthday i'm the grand old age of 36 now Getting close to at 40. <laughs> Over the halfway mark. Oh, no, I'm officially late 20s. Uh, late 20s. <laughs> late 30s now. However, I've spent the 
I mentioned a couple of episodes back that I got the Apple TV. Uh, my quest still continues to rip all my um, DVD media and get into um, an iTunes happy format, which I've been doing. However, I've been... I think the bit that's taking the longest is the TV episodes. Because you can't just put a disc in and say, right, rip it, that's a film. You've got to yeah. go through and you yeah. rip all the individual episodes. I mean, and I know you've been doing quite a lot of stuff for your... Um, putting stuff on for your for your work, haven't you, for your iPod. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that, but taking it off the disc. Um, <laughs> and stuff like... I, w- I was doing the Next Gen uh, first series. But instead of doing... Right, this is episode one, episode two, episode three, episode four. <laughs> it's like I got to one disc and it's like episode 11, episode 12, episode five, episode 16. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I've now got to fire up each disc, make sure I've got the naming correct because the software that I then run to fill in all the metadata does a lap. So I can't have the episodes wrong, which is just taking far too long. And I don't know why, but I was, as I've been um, converting all the stuff, I've been, I, I don't know if it's because I've just hit 36 or whatever, but I've been doing a bit reminiscing. So I was like, Ooh, i tell you what I could do within the collection. Um, the original Knight Rider. So I, I ordered the original Knight Rider box set, the original A-Team <laughs> box set, Street Hawk, Airwolf, the Fall Guy. <laughs> so I'm ripping all these at the moment. But it's like I was sat there yesterday, and I was like, right, what should I watch? So you're buying them quicker than you're adding them to the library. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, they're, they're almost like on demand now, so I can just... They, there's no getting my lazy butt off the sofa and putting discs in or anything. I just hit, right, Apple TV, go. Uh, so I watched like the first episode of The Fall Guy yesterday and I was like, oh, <laughs> reminiscing. <laughs> I watched the first episode of Knight Rider uh, where he turns from Michael Young to Michael Knight and Kit comes out and all the rest of it. And I remember that. Is that the one where the Yob throws the brick at the window? That's the one, yeah. Ah, I remember that one, yep. Um, <laughs> it was just, I, I don't know, it was just nice to reminisce. I mean, I went through the first, or I should say as I was ripping the first series of uh, Knight Rider... I got to the last disc and there was only one episode on there and there were a hidden gem. There was Knight Rider 2000. <laughs> you know where Kit gets... First is in some caddy and then he goes into some... I can't remember what character. It's a big red boat type thing. Isn't there a team of vehicles in Knight Rider No, that's, that's Team Knight Rider. That right, was another okay. spin-off. <laughs> this has uh, got... It's got Michael Knight in the normal dude. Um, or I should say Hasselhoff. But yeah, at one point... Um, Kit becomes a boat and he's traveling through this river and everything. I'm like, oh no, why did they bother? Uh, I can remember the TV, they had a TV competition of, um, you know, kids to write in for what ability they want Kit to have. And I remember doing this towards the end of Knight Rider's life after I'd long stopped watching it. Yeah. And uh, I think one kid, the kid that won it, had came up with the ability for um, Kit to fly. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if it was all linked with that. Yeah, maybe. maybe. You know what's going to happen, though, don't you? You're going to spend a life ripping all these DVDs, and then once you've got it finished, Apple will become obsolete, and there'll be the new Acorn. (laughs) (laughs) That's not going to happen. You say that. Yeah. Nobody thought Apple had come back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, yeah, to be honest, once I've got all the episodes out of the way, I think it'll be quite easy. I mean, it's like I left to go to work this morning and I had five DVDs going I'm like oh when am I ever going to get a chance to watch all these <laughs> but I, I don't know it's just the on demand you, you know when you've had to get a couple of beers inside and you just think oh I could just do we watching blah blah 
sometimes it's not the ability to watch it; it's the ability. It's just actually owning it, physically owning it. That, yeah, yeah, that matters. I mean, stuff like um, I've recently been out and got like Smoking the Bandit, all three films of that. I noticed on Facebook the other week you was talking about that. Yeah. Because uh, Christine were on about putting the Christmas decorations up. She'd obviously had enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, poor lass. I mean, I, I, I was sat down yesterday and thought, right, I've got the notes out of the way. Right, I'll uh, I'll watch a bit of um, Fall Guy. So I'm, I'm watching that, having a bit of rum and coke. And she's like, oh, well, you, right, um, I've done what I'm doing. I'll come down and uh, what are you watching? I'm like, oh, just sit down and watch it. It'll be fine. <laughs> then we watched Cannonball <laughs> Run for the second time this month. <laughs> I, what a great, great movie. I've forgotten how good it was. Apart from spending my life ripping, and um, from birthday I got the Xbox, which, uh, you know, the Halo Xbox, I got it like a month early, so bless her. Um, I also got, um, you remember, ooh, I don't know, going back six months, I was playing around with some Lego, some Star Wars Lego? Yes, I remember the pictures. <laughs> yeah. Well, she bought me, um, as you know, I'm quite a fan of Halo, they do the um, Halo Lego set. So I've got like the um, it's like the warthog. It's got a couple of mass chiefs on it and everything. It is. It took me like an hour and a half to put together yesterday. But the the only downside <laughs> is him sat playing with Lego and watching Fall Guys. No, maybe I'm having that midlife crisis. <laughs> maybe that's it. I, I thought we'd had the midlife crisis and bought stormtrooper outfits. That's me done. <laughs> maybe maybe this is the second coming. But I don't know. I I really enjoyed it. I was sat sat down and put it all together. But the only thing that put me off slightly was, back in the days, you got Lego, and no matter what Lego pieces you got, you could build whatever with. With all these Star Wars ones, and with the Halo ones, the pieces are very, very specific to the thing that you're building. So I couldn't, in theory, take apart this Halo thing and then build, you know, just a, a normal Lego thing, because the pieces wouldn't fit. They're just very specific. Which, I don't know, it kind of takes the shine off of Lego, if you know what I mean. Oh, that's half the fun, is the fact that it was all basically universal bricks. You, you had a bucket of bricks, you could make pretty much what you wanted. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted it the right colour, you had to buy the set, you know, the kit. But, Agreed, yeah. Yeah. But some of these pieces, like, this would only ever be a door on a warthog, or this would only ever be a bonnet on a warthog, or this would only ever be the front end of a speeder, or an Atat's leg, or something, you know. Yeah. Which, yeah, it kind of takes the shine off, but to be honest, I quite like playing with it, so <laughs> I'm not going to complain. <laughs> this week's podcast of the week is, as you heard from the trailer earlier, it's Creeping with Armstrong. Over to you, Anthony. Yeah, well, this is one I heard about it. I'm, I've heard about it quite a few times on other podcasts. Yeah. Um, the, the, I know uh, Cadmium 2 mentioned them Um and I think one of the hosts, in fact, he did. Ross appeared on uh, Apotheosis of a Bombast on at least one occasion. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's the Creeping with Armstrong. And it's basically, it's a monthly get-together of James Randall and Ross Cleaver. Okay. All right. Now, those of you that listen to the Simply Syndicated podcast, for those about to rock. Yeah. Um, may mistake Ross's voice as being that of Stu the Beard Perry. Um I know when I first started, when I first heard it, I'm sure that's Stu the Beard Perry, but uh, no, it isn't. It's a totally different guy. Okay. Uh, I think I can actually now spot the difference. It might just be me. Everybody else might listen and think, what's he on about? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's general chat, general musings. 
Okay. Um, the two examples for discussion that they give on their iTunes description are everything from uh, plans for survival during a zombie apocalypse, okay. um, which considering the parrots we've just had was quite apt, yeah. um, through to uh, was Johnny Briggs's brother growing magic mushrooms in the basement. Right, um, okay. Yeah, it's that pretty much about covers it. It's, um, it's a topic of conversation. Anything goes, uh, but it's always entertaining, always funny. Uh, leans towards the geeky, you know, uh, lots of Star Wars talk and Lost and Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, general chinwag enjoyed by all. Um, now, I first, when I first started listening to them, it was uh, quite a while ago, and I was well behind on podcasts already. The last thing I needed was another one to subscribe to. Yeah. And the first episode I downloaded, um, it was quite a dodgy uh, audio quality. Okay. And I actually, I unsubscribed to it. I thought, uh, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll catch up on this once I've caught up on the other podcast. Unsubscribed. Yeah. And I didn't go back to it until... Um, Elton started his Rogue 2 feed. Uh, now, if you don't know, uh, Elton from Apotheosis of a Bombast, yeah. um, he's got a podcast feed at uh, www.rogue2.com. Okay. And uh, basically, there's four podcasts on there at the moment. It's a feed of, uh, it's an am- amalgamation of uh, other podcasts. Okay. Uh, so this is a, this is his own Rethinking Lost. Yep. This is his own Bombast podcast. Yep. Which uh, both been uh, podcasts of the weeks before. Yeah. There's Geek Squared, which I've also included as a podcast of the week before. Yeah. And this now Creeping with Armstrong is the latest addition to this feed, which okay. is another one I listen to. Subscribe, you know. Uh, Another one which we're now given as a recommendation. So four, it's basically got four previous podcasts of the week, including this one uh, okay. on this feed. And I am I'm so grateful to Elton for reintroducing this podcast to to my ears. I've wrote down. Okay. Um, it's like I say, it's there was a dodgy audio at a time when I was behind on podcasts, and the last thing I needed was another subscription, yeah. and I didn't give it a second chance as soon as I should have done. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just grateful to Elton for reintroducing it to me. Um, you can listen to it on the Rogue 2 feed, which includes the others, which is, as I've already said, www.rogue2.com. Okay. Um, if you want to uh, subscribe to this one directly, it's www.risingdamp.com. But the rising is spelt with a Z. Okay. So it's www.risingdamp.com forward slash CWA. Okay. And um, that's the feed for Creeping with Armstrong. Uh, likewise, you can download it straight from uh, iTunes or Zoom or whatever uh, podcast catcher you use. Excellent. But yeah, well worth a listen. Excellent. Right, well, that's it for this week. If you want to come join us on the forum, it's redwarforum.com. If you want to find us on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash redwarforum. If you want to drop us an email, it's scuttercast at redwarforum.com. And finally, if you want to find us on Facebook, it's under the parent group of Fiction Shed. So that's facebook.com forward slash fiction shed. Right, we'll be back in two weeks with the episode Epideme. So until then, goodbye. Bye.